What's more important, the ethics guidelines or being culturally sensitive? Are you still worried about being reported over that snack you accepted five years ago? During today's mail, I speak with a Brazilian behavior analyst about cultural considerations, the growing neurodiversity affirming movement, and truly listening to the population we serve, which reminds me of today's behavior bite. Coleslaw. Unfortunately, really bad things can happen when vulnerable populations aren't listened to. I had a slight taste of this when I was only four years old. My parents had placed me in a new daycare. On the front, it seemed like a fun and safe place to leave their children while they worked. However, they had no idea that the daycare director was only providing coleslaw for lunch, no alternatives, and no getting up from the table until it was gone. It wasn't until a couple days later that my four-year-old self said something. I believe I was apologizing for breaking the rules. This alerted my parents to the reality. I was fortunate enough to have the communication skills and parents who listened, but it's an unfortunate reminder that there's a lot of individuals that don't have that luxury, so we have to make sure we listen to all communication attempts. Welcome to Behavior Bites with Rosie Eats, where we share a virtual meal with behavior analysts, psychologists, educators, and other helping professionals. Building a community can be hard when you're always pouring into others. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite food, and let's dig in. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Rosie, and I'm so excited to introduce today's dinner guest. My friend Lissa, who was on Behavior Bites Episode 2, reached out to introduce the two of us since we both actively promote neurodiversity-affirming care. Today's guest is a behavior analyst in Brazil who trains professionals and empowers parents. It's Michelle Fuentes. Hi, Michelle. Hi. It's really good to, to be here, Rosie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I hope you're hungry for our meal. Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> We are going to start with our amuse-bouche, which is kind of the chef's whim today. So let's dig right in. I was wondering if you could discuss some of the major differences between ABA in Brazil and ABA in Western countries like the U.S. Okay, great. Great topic. So I believe we need to start with the um, university the system, the educational system that we have here that is, that is really different from the United States. So here in Brazil, when you do your bachelor's degree or like a four years degree, you go to do a post-graduation that it's not a master. So we have a master's. So you can do a post-graduation that it would be an, a specialization in a field. So if you do, like, you did your bachelor in psychology, and then you go to a specific area of psychology, for example, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or ABA or any other uh, field, you do this in, uh, in, in what we call here a post-graduation, that it's usually a two-year course. And then if you want to do research, uh, go to teaching universities, then you go a master's degree. If you want to continue on researching and university, you go to do your doctoral program. So the way we have here, most of people who uh, want to enter in applied behavior analysis, they will go to do a post-graduation. But that's the problem. We, we will have like different kinds of post-graduations. So we could have a six-month post-graduation or we could have a, a two-year graduation that could be really similar to a master's degree in the United States. So that's a huge difference because when we talk about like, do you have a master's? It's really common for professionals uh, who work in the field, like in many fields, they don't have a master's degree because we know that master's degree here are more for research, university, for teaching, and it is much more theoretical mm -hmm. and not 
practical. So that's a, a huge issue that we have because when you, you, you are going to do a course, you need like the, the practical side and not just the theoretical side. Mm -hmm. This is another <laughs> uh, <laughs> difficult word for us in Brazil, the, the TH. <laughs> so we have this major difference here. But if we analyze like functionally, looking for uh, what did you study and not just the form, not just the name, uh, depending of the post-graduation that you do, it would be pretty similar to a master's degree uh, in ABA. So we start uh, from this point. And another thing that is pretty different here in Brazil is that your bachelor's degree is what defines you as a professional. Mm. The U.S., you can do your uh, four or three-year course but what will define you is your master's. Correct right. me if I am wrong. But uh, no, no, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. from what I, I talk to all of you guys, uh, it's what I see. But here, no. Here, uh, what it, what it defines you as a professional is your bachelor's degree, like your your undergrad. So if you did a uh, four-year psychology, usually you, you will do your post-graduations and master's and doctor in this field. Mm -hmm. So it has a good side and a bad one because you need to uh, decide what you want to do like when you were 17 or 18 years right. old. Mm -hmm. That's like pretty early in life when usually we don't know much what of what we want mm -hmm. so that's a, a a huge difference that like it shapes how the the professionals how they study and how things are done wow that's really interesting because because exactly what you said that's what I was going to reiterate that having to choose what you're going to do for the rest of your life at 17 seems so impossible I mean even when I went into school i I didn't know what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And my undergrad was in political science. And so if I had to like stay and <laughs> makes me laugh, uh, if I had to stay in political science, I just, I don't know what I would do with myself. So is it kind of uh, more of a cultural thing that, you know, you need to be like prepped and ready to choose what you're going to do. And then most people stay with it because they did so much preliminary work to like really soul search to figure out what they want. Or is it out of obligation that this is what I chose and now I, I have to stick with it? It has a mix of things, but it's how the educational system is organized. So you left high school and then you go to apply uh, to universities. You leave your high school, already have decided, like my first bachelor's degree is in law. So I have a bachelor's degree in law. So I stay at five years uh, studying law. And just after this, that I went to ABA and to education, I did a, another bachelor's degree in pedagogy. Here is not a bachelor's degree, but it's as a bachelor's degree, like licentiate mm -hmm. um, would be the, the name. Uh, but it's the idea of a bachelor's degree. So I have okay. like two bachelor's degree and mm -hmm. some post-graduations. So it's how things are organized and how you were prepared since high school. So it's a cultural thing, but also like uh, the way the laws are organized. But it's pretty common for people to have two or three bachelor's degree. Oh, okay. Exactly mm -hmm. for this matter. Uh, you don't know what you want. Uh, so you did something and you don't want to stick with this and then you want to change. So it's it's pretty uh, something pretty common because another thing that in Brazil is different is the access to education. We are like a third world country with a lot of problems, but the accessibility to higher education, it's better 
than mm. in the US. I know that the quality could not be so good, but you will have access because it's cheaper. It's not mm -hmm. like so expensive as in the right. United States, like where, where you need to get loans. And sometimes you, you spend like many years to pay like for uh, medicine school like doctors it is is mm -hmm. it is still uh really expensive but mm -hmm. other areas not so much so people they they have accessibility so they can uh enter in more than one uh bachelor's program and post graduations and things like that so that's something that really uh if someone is not happy with mm -hmm. their area they can they can change i know in the us they can also change but it's 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 a bit easier maybe on the part mm -hmm. that you can do different masters program but it's more expensive so yeah. Yeah. it has this this downside right yeah i mean it's a lot of money so so that's good that it's easier to access that kind of higher education Okay, let's uh, get to our appetizers. So for our first appetizer, how did you get into behavioral analysis? I went to this field because of my son. Uh, I have two kids and one is autistic. So he is 11 years old. Uh, and we have an autism diagnosis when he was two years old. So since the first day, I have heard of ABA therapy that he needed uh, to do ABA. Uh, and then I went to look for what it is ABA, uh, what is this that he needs to do. And then I started to study. And this, it was in 2014 that I entered uh, in this world. So it was exclusively because of autism, not because of Skinner or behavioral science or because I would like to be a scientist. At first, I just uh, wanted to help my son make make him speak, uh, communicate. That was my first priority. I had the diagnosis while I was pregnant uh, of my second uh, son. Mm -hmm. So everything happened so quickly. And that's why I entered and how I entered. So I started to study, study, and then I I switched ev everything that I was doing uh, to study and to take care of my of my kids. How would you say it was different, kind of pivoting what you originally planned on doing while you had your your toddler and being pregnant with your second child? What I had planned, like to my life and then everything turned around uh like I am an only child so I use it to work with my parents at their business so I always was an entrepreneur that was my like uh the place that I was born uh mm -hmm. in with lots of people and running a business and selling things. So uh, it was pretty clear that I would be working in my, my family business. Mm -hmm. But then when the diagnosis came and I was pregnant and everything, I had to step down. I had to leave. Uh, but it was just temporary. It was a thing that I, I had planned to come back. But then I started to enjoy, to like, to study. Uh, and then I started my post-graduation in applied behavior analysis, that it was a two-year uh, course. Uh, I had done an internship. I also had done other courses, like in education. I always liked it. Uh, the intersection of mm -hmm. ABA and education. I, I was more like uh, a person that liked the, the school environment than the clinical setting. I think that the school setting is really uh, rich 
environment to learn because you see like everything, all kinds of kids, mm -hmm. everything is happening at the same time. It's challenging, mm -hmm. but really a good place to learn. So I started to uh, work uh, with clients and also running the things of my own kid. So time was passing. I was like dedicated for days, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I slept like really few hours. Mm -hmm. I gained a lot of weight. Like my health was really in a bad shape because I, I wanted to immerse in everything that I, I had to learn. And also what I saw It was like really bad services being provided from professionals who already were in the field for a long time, like for mm -hmm. uh, a 10-year psychologist who had a master's degree uh, in a good university and everything. And she was doing bad, she was providing bad services in the kind of ABA, like uh, motor imitation 20, 20 times. So do mm, this, mm -hmm. do this, do this like 20 times. Coming with programs ready and containing a kid that did not had to be contained. Mm -hmm. All these kinds of things of bad services and expensive ones, not covered by insurance, mm -hmm. pay it privately. Uh, and then I, I, I said, no, I am in this place, like for, uh, uh, a small amount of time. And I already know that this is wrong. Right. So something does not sound so good here. I need to do something. And then I started to learning and, and practicing learning and practicing. And my whole life was this, it was not a healthy moment mm. because I, I I didn't go out with my husband of or with friends and everything but it was a necessary period because what I thought at that time is that my son he only has me and my husband mm -hmm. and he needs the knowledge that I will acquire and that I am acquiring to evolve Uh, to develop so he mm -hmm. needs me and I can't count with anyone because no one seems to me that this uh, these people they they don't know what they are doing mm -hmm. so I need to be the one who who will run things and like I didn't choose this path mm -hmm. things just happened in the way that I felt that I had to do something And this is what I did. And I don't regret. I started to enjoy, to like. Today, my, my son is, he's entering in puberty. That it's a whole new phase, <laughs> <laughs> a whole new world. He's, he's okay. I could like step aside and go back to my, my parents' business because I am an only child. So it does not have other uh, people to fill this, this space. But I really think that I have a job to do here. Today's mm -hmm. is like the job of my, of my family, because we own a company that trains other people. And I feel that more people need to have this knowledge that I acquired Uh, and I like to see myself like as, as a bridge that I like to help people to have access to some knowledge that they won't have. Like, I, I don't want anyone to say to anyone how to run their practices and their, and the way they do things. I like to provide the knowledge and let them mm -hmm. choose what they think that it suits better. Mm -hmm. So everything like really turn it around. I don't see myself in a, in another place. Mm -hmm. We get tired because it's like I work every day, like seven days a week. Sometimes I get like burnout. I suffer from anxiety and depression. But I, I, I see that it's a, a job that needs to be done. And I don't see other 
other people doing what I do the way I do and believing the things that I believe and having the values that I have. So I really think that there is no other way and people need to know and have and make their their choices. Long answer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was perfect. That was perfect. I feel like you touched on so many points that other caregivers are also feeling of feeling like you don't know how to like fix what's going on. So it could be anything. It could be how to teach a skill. It could be these professionals that are coming into my house. I don't agree with what they're doing, but they are the professionals. So I don't know how to stand up, you know, stand up to them. Um, And so I like that even though it took a lot away from you and it really impacted your health in a negative way that you were able to turn it around to not only help your family and your children, but also take that for other parents to empower them and give them a little bit of knowledge and then also professionals to show them that there are better ways to do things. And this was you starting at I don't want to say nothing, but like with very limited knowledge. Everything was new to me, even autism. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what autism was. Mm -hmm. So like it was pretty, pretty hard. And 2000, like a lot have happened in the last 10 years, nine, five years. Things like were pretty different. Mm -hmm. Like people are speaking out now. But mm-hmm. they they uh, used not to do this five years ago. Like right, a, a lot have changed with social media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I feel like even though, so we'll use your own words. Like even though you were starting in the negative, you still had something inside of you that was that said like this is wrong and there's a better way to do it. And I think that's really the common thread in a lot of professionals and parents and autistic adults and other practitioners that a lot of people were scared to say that five years ago, that like, this is not right, or this is, there's a better way to do this and let's push it forward. Um, That I think this whole neurodiversity affirming movement has really exploded from social media because now instead of one practitioner or one parent in a sea of people saying like, no, no, these are the professionals. We just have to push through. We just have to do extinction. We just have to hand over hand, you know, all of these practices. Now we can hop on social media and see someone in Cape Cod that is like, nope, like we're not doing hand over hand, you know, Speaking to someone in Brazil that's like, yeah, my child is not going to go through that. Speaking to someone in Texas. And so now we can all come together and realize that it is not an uncommon thought as we once thought it was. So it's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Like just today, I posted like today, the day that we are recording, but not Mm -hmm. the day that the the podcast will be uh, out. Uh, I posted a video from Australia. So something that I don't know if you saw, but uh, those contention uh, techniques uh, that were done in Australia. So I made this accessible like through social media. Uh, telling people, look, you don't speak English, that's okay, but look these images. You don't need to speak English to understand these images and see what is happening. And many people uh, make this like normal because they say, oh, it's evidence-based, so it's okay. So everything that is evidence-based, that it's science, it is okay. And now we are making people think like, but is it human? It's not enough to be evidence-based. It needs also to be human. It needs to respect the other person, their dignity. So this kind of conversations uh, social media is making us have. 
because what happens is that parents and practitioners they feel like alone and they think like oh it's just me maybe i don't have the knowledge enough because those those uh important professionals like for example here in brazil oh but this year, she travels to the United States to do courses and she has access to important people and she had published. So it must be all correct what this person right. says. And no, that's mm -hmm. not, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> uh, so it's usually what I like. People say like, oh, I could not believe that. Things are not the way that I thought it was. Mm -hmm. So it's like pretty intense and difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it, it is very intense. I mean, I'm I'm very excited and hopeful uh, as more people speak out on this across uh, across the entire world. Yeah, that slowly. ABA can kind of change and what we do uh, can change and shift towards a more human, using your words again, a, a more human and uh, affirming type of care. Let's jump to our palate cleanser. I feel like that was a little hefty <laughs> for, for the beginning of our meal. But for our palate cleanser, what is a must-try Brazilian food? If anyone were to ask, what would you say you have to try? Well, I like uh, sweet stuff. So we have uh, a candy here that it does not have a, a translation, but it, the name is Brigadeiro. It's chocolate with some mix of... I think that it's also does not exist in the United States, that it's leite condensado. It's a, it's a, mm -hmm. a mixture of milk, almost a cream mm -hmm. uh, with chocolate. And it's really, really common in birthday parties, especially of kids. So it's like really, really good. It does not have in the United States. And other thing that it's like good with coffee since the United States usually people love coffee, uh, mm -hmm. is pão de queijo, that it's bread with cheese. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also something, maybe you will have a, a bakery where mm -hmm. you live that probably will have those things. So yeah. you, since you live in a place with a lot of Brazilians, probably you will uh, see a Brazilian bakery that will yes. have those, those things. <laughs> yes. So I'm over here laughing. Um, uh, obviously, the listeners can't see me, but I'm laughing because when I was coming up with these questions and I was telling uh, my husband about it, I said, I guarantee you the two things she's going to say is brigadeiros. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, I couldn't remember the name of the the cheese inside of the bread. That's what I said. So I'm, I'm dying over here that 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 is what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm glad that I that I that I've had it. So can you say the the cheese the bread one? Yeah, pão de queijo. I want to find that at a bakery, but brigadeiros. And I know I'm saying it very American, but the first time I ever had that was when I was a behavior technician, and we had the mom, the aunt, and the grandmother all rolling them for a uh -huh. birthday party. Uh -huh. Exactly yeah. what you're saying. And this was back when uh, the ethics code was very black and white of like, do not accept anything. And they're sitting there like really pouring like love into like making these. And they're like, you you have to try one. And I'm like, ah, I'm supposed to say no. But like, I could just tell on their faces that like, it wasn't really a question. And uh -huh. if I had said no, I like, I knew it would upset them and so I was just like yes and then they all watched me eat it and I remember I was just like <laughs> oh my goodness this is one of the best things I've ever had so no one report me yeah, <laughs> nobody please. report me <laughs> but it was very good and I feel like it really uh back to like culturally um and I'm glad that the ethics code changed because culturally 
it would have been more of a detriment to say no than to just say yes. Like it really brought us closer together in a more uh, trusting way that I was that I was willing to try something that I've never had before and that they were able to bring like a smile on my face, you know, after working with their with their children. So I love it. <laughs> Here the the ethics code would be like really a problem because like everyone gives a therapist a, a gift like mm -hmm. in and it's probably more than ten dollars <laughs> because <laughs> so it, it would be a, a problem because it's pretty common on teacher's day or at christmas or in in the therapist's birthday that you have a gift mm -hmm. and it's if you work in a home setting it's pretty common to uh do a coffee make coffee and and mm -hmm. and serve and or some some cake something like that like and if you don't accept like it will be rude because usually they they do with a lot of love yeah, right mm -hmm. uh when you do like a homemade cake or a brigadeiro or things like that so like th that's another thing that i always say like we cannot import the the BA the BCBA process and the, the BACB here uh, to mm -hmm. Brazil because it's not culturally organized in the way that we function. Right, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit, yes. And the educational system and the culture, so the, it does not work. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump to our entrees. So what is something you wish you could have told yourself when you were just getting started in the in the field? That I did not have to please like other professionals, that I I did not have to have a commitment with ABA, but with autism, because for some part of my career, I thought that I had to do things as everyone was doing or mm -hmm. do things for the science because I don't know but here is pretty strong like you need to honor the science you need to honor their the theory uh and things like that and once I saw that no no I do I don't need anything of, of those things and that's okay for people who who feel that they they have to but i don't because why i entered in this field it was because of autism so i need mm. to honor autistics and the the services that are provided to autistics and the science is good but i don't i don't have to think that this science will save the world and people they don't need anything else. They just need behavioral science because there is the key for everything. No, I, I don't have to think like that. So mm -hmm. when I let this go, like it was a game changer for me internally and the, the, the behaviors that I had. So it was really good. I would mm -hmm. have told myself this because I, I had, uh, uh, I let myself into this narrative mm -hmm. but then i i saw no no this is not the the way this this does not align with my values this mm -hmm. uh, this does not make me feel good so i don't have you are speaking my language here because <laughs> i say that all the time that both of those things so the first one that if we are providing services to autistic individuals then the autistic needs to be first above everyone else if that if it's going to be true service in the realm of what what is service you know serving others and taking care of them but then the second part the old phrase you know behavior behavior analysis can save the world i uh, i believed that too when i got started but as i've grown in the field that statement really pits behavior analysts against other professions and against caregivers and against autistic individuals. And it really comes off as elitist. 
And I joke that I don't believe behavior analysis can save the world when we can't even save ourselves. I mean, there are so many, uh, so many negative things going on and so much infighting and one beast bay calling another beast bay unethical. And so it's like, I don't see it saving the world when, I mean, behavior analysis could implode at any moment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I got really excited when you said that. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's how I feel. So back to kind of like cultural. So our second entree is what are some cultural considerations when working with Brazilian families? Brazilians in general, they are really like passionate. Families, they are used to uh, have this more personal relationship. And I believe you had this experience uh, mm -hmm. working with Brazilians or other Latino families. So I think that we, we need to have in mind, like, uh, I don't know, someone posted someday about hugging parents. And I believe you commented in this post. So here, Brazilians, they, they hug, they kiss. It's normal. Usually they have your cell phone, like your number. They call you. We here usually use WhatsApp mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, iMessage or uh, SMS, things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, so they they will send you a message. It's not so common to have like so many boundaries. Like you have boundaries you need to have. But they see the therapist as, I, I wouldn't say like friend, but as a person that you can go to, not like mm -hmm. just a, a person that you see once a week or twice a week. Like they mm -hmm. count with this professional when they hire them because they start a relationship uh, with this person. It's pretty common for uh, a therapist to be invited for a birthday party, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that it's normal in our culture. Um, the hugs, the kissing, the presents uh, um, to to have to give you a gift as a sign of look, you are part of our history. Mm -hmm. You are part of the development of my son. So I want to thank you for being a part of, of this moment. So they create this relationship that I think that it's more, I don't know, passionate. I don't, I don't know if passionate mm -hmm. would be the, 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 the right word, but uh, that it's more common than in Europe or North America. I definitely can see that of, of not a friend, but of a, part of their community so not just like a professional that they see once in a while but someone that's truly part of their community and I really like how you said that they want to show appreciation for being part of their child's development because because yeah. it is true and I got slightly emotional thinking because I've had so many families uh, especially Brazilian families that I I think I knew that at the time and, uh, you know, when I got the treats or uh, they would hand make me something because this, again, yeah. was was before the $10, but uh, they just really wanted to give me something. Mm -hmm. um, and I still have, I have all of the handmade things. And it's true, like it, it's such a privilege to be able to be a part of so many people's lives and I don't want anyone to take that for granted, but also considering that the families might want to show their appreciation in their own culturally way. How they learn it. Mm -hmm. They don't know like other way. And, and that's why like some Brazilians may think that like Americans are cold. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> if you have heard like people in North America, they are so cold. And I say, no, I get that they, they are different, but it has people that has this knowledge. I don't know if, if it is because of social media, but I think that people are being more culturally aware. I don't know, but I, I am having this this feeling. 
And then we are learning with each other and changing our behavior. I, I don't know, but I think that social media is having this effect. I don't have the data, <laughs> but it's just my feeling. <laughs> oh, no, no data. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think anecdotal data of like noticing people's behaviors kind of shift. Uh, and I think so. I think the last few years, I mean, the field itself and also humans and white people, um, we have so much further to go, but I do like the direction we're going. Uh, I think there's going to be some really good advances as we go, uh, which actually kind of leads into our dessert. I was wondering, what are some of your hopes for the future of ABA? I get my ups and down, and sometimes I stay so in a down place that I that I think, oh my God, these people they are they are so not flexible enough and they don't change once we, we see and read things, but we need to have hope. And I carry something with me that Alisa, Lisa told me that I really carried with me that it's like ABA will not leave. Service will continue to be provided. Things will continue to happen. So we need to stay and make some changes. So we need to act. So this stick it with me. So I, I, I bring this with me when I am in my bad places, my down places with ABA. But I really uh, hope that people, they understand like the neurodiversity movement. They stay aware of these topics. They start to read, to learn, to hear autistic voices. I wish that they stop to giving like data is important. I get. But just seeing the data, like seeing someone through a data would be like seeing someone uh, through exams, through an mm -hmm, x-ray mm -hmm. or through an MRI. Uh, and we need to see beyond this. So, okay, we have good systems of data. We have good, the part of measuring behavior, like all this is important, but why can't we have other things that are also important? Mm -hmm. So I would uh, really hope that we give some spaces for autistic voices themselves to tell us because we are so worried many times to look at reading papers, looking the data, but many times we are not hearing the voices that are right in front of us. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that we also start reading uh, papers of other fields and be more open to have this transdisciplinary work, not inter, not multi, but transdisciplinary uh, work that we go between the, the, the fields and uh, with professionals. And I think that each one has a job in this world, like we have uh, the things that we like to do. But for professionals who work directly with clients, I would hope that we stop defending ABA and start defending our clients. Mm. If you are more worried with your field, like if you're an SLP, for, for example, and you were more worried with the, the speech language pathology area than you are with your client, I believe that we have a problem. Because then probably you will have behaviors that will would be more aligned with the the well-being of your field than with the well-being of your client. So I would not like one of these professionals to be, for example, my doctor right. taking care of me. So we need to put in other people's shoes. Hmm. We have a lot to improve. <laughs> we but do. We are in a better place than we were from the the past five years. I mean, you bring up so many good points. Back to when you were saying, like, it's not just about the data. 
So one of the conversations that I was having with some other practitioners, uh, I had posted that people are more than data points. So it's not just about data. People are more than data points. And then a good friend, uh, Meg Solomon of Incross Environments, had posted, you know, sessions that are measured in laughter and relaxed bodies and smiles and just having a good time. I mean, I guess we can't send that off to insurance, but it's still important because if you want to make it super behavioral, (laughs) it's, you know, continuing to pair and build a rapport with a client. So then you can lead into their values and teach new skills, but just focusing on on the data points and the trend lines, it's not going to tell the story of someone's life. I mean, people are complex and you really have to look between those data points of what what has been going on. Like maybe he's still on the same target for hand washing, but he just learned how to uh, self-advocate that he wants privacy in the bathroom, you know? So there's so many other stories to look into and that also it's bi-directional. So realizing that everyone that you come into contact with has something to teach you. So, so whether it's the caregivers, whether it's the clients, I mean, I've learned so much from my clients and I don't care if they're only three years old, they teach me things every day or caregivers, they will tell me like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like you're the one that went to school. And it's like, but you do know because you're still a whole human with life experiences that I haven't had. So just being able to like walk into a space open and curious uh, to learn, I think would help a lot of people. That's how I do it. Uh, And I'm not going to tell people what to do, but Uh, That would be my recommendation for the future. Definitely. I agree 100%. And and they know their their child because they stay like 24 hours Mm -hmm. a day with this kid. So they know, but sometimes they feel that they don't because they don't have, they they, they did not go to school to study this, but they know their, their child. So we need to validate this. This has been such a great conversation. Uh, We are at our nightcap now. Um, I first wanted to check if there was anything else that you wanted to mention, anything I should have asked and I didn't. Well, I believe it. uh, We covered a lot. We could stay here for like hours and hours uh, talking about so many points. But I believe that we we covered a lot and yeah. we can leave a room for a second round. <laughs> yes, <laughs> love it. Okay, where can listeners find more about you and your dissemination efforts? So I am on Instagram and YouTube, of course, in Portuguese. Uh, so the content will be all in Portuguese because it, it is for uh, Portuguese speakers. But my Instagram is my name, but me Freitas Autismo, that is autism in Portuguese. And also my YouTube channel is my name, that is Michele Freitas uh, on YouTube and also uh, the the podcast platforms all with my, my name. Awesome. Then if anyone doesn't know this, Instagram uh, now has a translate feature. Yeah. So uh, you can check out all of Michelle's posts. If you just click that translate, it will translate it to pretty much any language that you want. I guess I haven't explored other ones besides English, uh, but it does a pretty nice job. Now it's gotten better. I remember using it a few years ago and I'm like, ah, I don't think this is translated well. Uh, but the last uh, year or so, anytime I use it on your posts, I'm like right there with you. I understand it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I always repost some posts of all you guys. Uh, and it, I always say, oh, just read the caption, at least the caption, because sometimes it's like at the post, you cannot translate Instagram, mm-hmm. please do this for us. Right. Like keep improving the translation. 
please. Yes. Uh, and but I, I always say no. Please, just read the caption because we already like have so learned so much and have so mm -hmm. much access because like. I believe we just have 1% of the population of Brazil who speaks English, like mm. 1%. Okay. So how these people will have access to papers, to books, mm -hmm. and everything else if they can't read in the language? Mm -hmm. Especially with the jargon, too. I mean, yeah, the, jargon the jargon is like heavy. We don't even go there in a the jargon because <laughs> there are a whole other other language but accessibility like it's a huge thing like accessibility to papers because we have to pay for papers mm -hmm. so like 40 dollars yeah for each paper so we don't have all this uh accessibility to a databases of articles and everything so it but at least If you are in social media and you, and you have these translations tools, you will be like near of different knowledge and being mm -hmm. open to see that you have people who have the same thoughts and mm -hmm. values as you. So this is so good. This is like amazing because we couldn't see this happening a couple of years ago. A few tips on like the research articles uh, that is good. So definitely using social media to reach out to people that do have more connections uh, that can just send you that research article, uh, reaching out to the authors. A lot of the authors will just send you the paper. And then uh, someone was just teaching me that when you go on Google Scholar and type in a research article, you can usually bypass the paywall because when you search it over on the side it'll say pdf and you just click that and it will bypass that so if you're ever looking for free articles anyone <laughs> yeah yes please because we we need to have access because even if they don't speak english they can put in a google translator yes. and it will help like it will not be perfect but it will be better if we have the the article so that's a, a start of on accessibility to knowledge thank you for sharing a bite with us everyone listening please go follow michelle on instagram and youtube definitely check out her podcast all the links will be in the show notes and also on my website as always you can find me on instagram at rosieeatsbx or my website rosiebx.com and if you enjoyed the show please help my dissemination efforts by leaving a rating and a review so others will find it and until our next meal bye mm -hmm.